So Ruth chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you turn there with me? We'll also have the text on the screen as we go along this morning. We are going to hop, skip, and jump through this entire chapter. Scott Hodgen uh, went through chapter 1 and taught us last week, and I'm so grateful for that. And if you were here, great. If not, I'll catch you up just a little bit. The book of Ruth comes to us uh, speaking of a time when, well, there was a famine in the land, the text tells us. And this famine is, is found during a time where the Israelites were in a period known as the period of the judges. And the, the judges, man, Ruth's a small book that I'm trying to find in my text right here. I'm going to get there. First and second Samuel. It's right before that. It's right before that. So got it. Period of the Judges. Let me tell you about this period of time. This is a time when the Israelites actually would spend time in good stead with the Lord, and they were obedient, and they had these these laws on their life that were not just because of privilege. God didn't set them apart for privilege, but God set them apart for responsibility to show the world what God was like. And oftentimes they would get this right and they would do it well and they would experience peace and harmony and things would be good. And then they would forget. They would get fat and happy, as we like to say, and they would forget about the laws that they were supposed to uh, abide in. And they would forget about the uh, example they were supposed to set. And it was during this time that they would fall away. They would stray from God and from God's provision, and they would have a time of disobedience and a time of hardship, a time of maybe a famine, as we see here in Ruth. But then God's loving kindness, has said, would come to them and remind them of who they were, whose they are, as we just sang about, and they would remember and they would repent, and then they would be restored, and the cycle would repeat itself. And this happened over and over and over again, and we find in Ruth that we are in a time where they are struggling. You with me? Ruth chapter 2. Here we go. Beginning in verse 1. Now, Naomi. Well, let's pause right there. Because <laughs> some of you may not have been here. Naomi was married to Elimelech. During the famine, Elimelech took his family out of Bethlehem and they went to a, t- a town city called Moab, away from the Israelites. And it was during this time that Elimelech died. They had two sons who married while they were in Moab to Orpah and Ruth, and the two sons died as well during the famine. So we have Naomi left with Orpah and Ruth. And she tried, as as the famine ended and Naomi went back to Judah, she tried to get Orpah and Ruth to stay home, but Ruth just wouldn't have it. And Ruth said, I am not. I'm staying with you. You are my people now. Who your people are will be my people. Your God will be my God. Now we're ready for chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? And Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. So Ruth, as a foreigner and childless and poor, she had very few options for employment, for ways that she could work. And so with Naomi's permission, she goes out into the fields to glean. Now, gleaning was this opportunity she had to take advantage 
of the law upon the Israelites' life, particularly in the times when they were heeding the law and were in good stead, they would leave behind part of the produce in the field as the harvest was gathered up. And they would leave it behind for folks who needed it, for the poor. Now, if you, if you know the story of the Israelites, they lived for many years out in the wilderness upon leaving Egypt. And they relied daily on provision from God during this time, manna from heaven. And so they understood what it was like to live hand to mouth. So gleaning would have made sense to them. They would have understood why it was important to provide for those who were poor. So they would leave some of the harvest behind. This idea of not being wasteful. This is an important concept, even for us today. Some mornings I come back by the house to pick up something. I'm starting to forget things more and more. Does that happen as you get older? Anyway, so I have to come back by the house after taking the kids to school before I come into the office and I will walk by the kitchen where breakfast had just been had. And I don't know if your house is like hours in the morning, but it's kind of crazy. And we don't often get all of breakfast completed. And so there is stuff there. Like sometimes there's half eaten bacon and I just can't get my head around that, how you would ever leave bacon there and not eat it. Or half glass of orange juice, which I love you kids, but that drives me nuts to leave the orange juice because it's not cheap. Anyway, this idea of not being wasteful is important. As a young man, I would help in my friends' family's farms, especially during the summer. And when it came time to harvest the tobacco plants, there were tobacco fields everywhere where I grew up, and this was the main cash crop. And so we worked out in the tobacco fields, hardest work I've ever done. And so we would, what you do to harvest the tobacco is you, when the plant is ready, you cut the plant and you spike it on a stick and you hang six uh, stalks to a stick and you put it up on a wagon and you take the wagon into the barn and you either hang it to be fire or air cured and then you sell it on the market. That's how you harvest tobacco. Now, what would inevitably happen because these stalks are somewhat fragile the leaves are, and you have novice workers like me, is a lot of these leaves would fall off. And there were no gleaning laws in Cross Plains, Tennessee in the 80s and the 90s. So they would either be left behind or they would be picked up. And I can remember to this day, Kevin Kleinert, my good friend, whom I worked for each summer, telling his son, Will, who was a few years younger than me, hey, Will, you need to go pick up these leaves and you need to bind them together in a rubber band because we need to include them in the harvest. And when you pick them up, I want you to imagine each of those tobacco leaves is a crisp $1 bill. Ruth, upon Naomi's blessing, made her way to pick up crisp $1 bills, seeking to provide for her mother-in-law and herself. Now in verse three, it tells us She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Let's talk about the term providence for a minute. I think providence is a theological term. It has to do with God's care for God's world. Providence, I think, may be best expressed in what is one of my favorite hymns, melodically and theologically. This is my father's world. In some renditions of this hymn, verse 3 has these lyrics. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. And Jesus himself alludes to providence in Matthew chapter 10 when he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs 
of your head have all been counted. I think it's really important for us this morning, guys, really important for me to see that Ruth did not just happen into the field, into Boaz's field. Rather, there was some working going on leading to Ruth ending up there, allowing for Boaz, who we will see in just a second as we continue to read the story, to be who Boaz is, was, and to care for Ruth. Let's, let's keep reading. Look in verse 4. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except when she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Let's pause right there for a minute. Do you see the, 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 the allusion to the period of the judges there? And this, this idea of reward coming from obedience and how Boaz is speaking this into Ruth's life in her adherence to Naomi, her care for her, her staying with her, and by extension, her staying with Naomi's God, our God. Verse 13, My Lord, she said, I found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, Come over here and have some bread, dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles of her, for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. Stop right there for a moment. Let's talk about Boaz. Boaz was a man of noble character, and as a man of noble character, Boaz would have, he would have had a good reputation in the community. He would have been somebody with means, somebody with money. Um, he's, in, he's in good standing in, this, in society. You know, it has often occurred to me as I've studied the Gospels, I mean, we just spent the first several months of this year going through the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus himself is was and is a man who would recognize need and respond to it. And what Jesus is like in that regard, I want us to see the parallels here with, with Boaz and how he recognizes need, particularly in Ruth's life and her situation, and responds to it. 
You know, I have, um, I have two brothers. I don't know if y'all know that about me or, or care, but I have two brothers whom I love very much. They're younger. Uh, one is a pastor in Virginia, and the other lives a mile from us, and we're actually very close we're close with both of them and their families, but particularly the one that lives a mile from us. He's a, my brother in Virginia is a pastor. My brother here is a home builder, and he's our builder right now, and that's hard. But, <laughs> but it's going fine, and he's actually one of my best friends, and we actually get to run together each Saturday, a longer run, and, uh, and spend that time together, and it's great. And I was telling him yesterday about what, you know, Ruth chapter 2 and some of the thoughts I had and some of the ways I had prepared this week. And um, well, I was thinking about Boaz and kindness. And my brother Blake is a lot like Boaz, to be honest with you. He's one of the kindest people that I know. And I was thinking about this with our relationship with the bank. We have the same bank. And I've been paying Blake's, you know, building, you know, his company a lot of money over the last few weeks because we're renovating our house. And it struck me, and I, it, I wasn't surprised, but it was really cool to, for the people at the bank to make the connections and for them to talk about my brother and how much they appreciate him and how he treats them. And I told Blake that to encourage him. And Blake said something to me that stuck with me, and I think he's right. He said, you know, I think the bar's really low for kindness. He said, I think people just aren't that kind anymore. And I got to thinking about that, and maybe the bank personnel's comments about Blake say more about the rest of us. And that frustrates me, particularly for us who follow and are being formed by Jesus, that we wouldn't have kindness dripping from our tongue as Boaz does, as Jesus does. Be kind, y'all. See that in Boaz's character here in this story. Keeping in mind that our story's main theme is about redemption. Scott detailed that so eloquently for us last week. I don't want us to miss that and the connections made here of how Boaz is connected with Ruth, with Naomi and her family. The text later on in chapter in verse 20, Naomi indicates that Boaz is one of the family's redeemers. So he has this rooting interest in being kind. The Hebrew word for this is spelled G-A-A-L. It's pronounced, I believe, goel. It means redeem, to take responsibility for the unfortunate, to stand as their supporter and their advocate. Do you see how kindness is a prerequisite for this? And this is an important theme in God's story as well. There's no more important theme. And we need to understand that this story about Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz is ultimately pointing to the bigger story, to God's meta narrative that we looked at all the month of February last year, if you can remember back to that, that God is our Redeemer, that God is particularly the Redeemer to those in need, orphans, widows, the poor, the outsider, all the people that Project Connect have on their radar at all times, and that we should as well. I talked a couple weeks ago as we finished up our, our time in Luke about our responsibility as the children of God, those following and being formed by Jesus, to partner with God in the ongoing creation of the world and the advancement of God's kingdom right here and right now. Human redeemers, so to speak, and human redeemers like Boaz, they participate in God's redemptive care in the world. They get after it every morning that they wake up. What we see in Boaz, it tells me that he understood clearly what it, that, that how you love others is precisely how we love God. 
He asks in verse five, he says, whose young woman is this? This is written in a time we must recognize where women, where male slaves were slaves, whether male or female, they, they were property of someone else. This is a poignant question. It points to the reality of the time. Who does this woman belong to? And what's interesting about Ruth's story is that wasn't an easy answer for Ruth because of the details of her circumstances. There wasn't an easy answer to who she would be particularly assigned to, who she would have, who would have ownership of her. So Boaz's question, again, is not easily answered. Let me tell you something. That question has been easily answered in my life for me. Great parents. I married into the best family. Great friends. Consistent advocates for me. Consistent people in my life to provide me with great connections. Now, I say all that not to brag. I'm grateful. I'm asking you to consider how would that question be answered for you? Who do you owe where you find yourself this morning to? For so many that Project Connect serves, the answer to that question is so different than the answer to that question for me. The safety nets, the emergency nets are just not the same. The margin is so much more narrow. And Ruth's margin was so narrow, y'all. And this put her in a particularly vulnerable position out in the fields. Just, just, just lean into the story we just read. And Boaz, Boaz intercedes for her here. I don't know how likely it would have been for the male workers to take advantage of Ruth, but it was likely enough that Boaz chose to preemptively work to make sure that that didn't happen. He says, listen, my daughter. And this is the same word that Naomi uses back in verse two, this familial, loving way that they both spoke to Ruth. Boaz cares for Ruth. And he goes on to tell her, stay close to the other women in the field. And he assures her that the men will not harass her. Just imagine how much of a difference this advocacy from Boaz can make in Ruth's life. And do not miss how much this advocacy coming from us and our great means and our great connections could mean in people's lives near us. It just gives so much confidence to believe that you've got help. Can you sense it? Can you feel it in this story? The transition that's taking place in Ruth's life here is she's going from wondering whose field she's even going to end up in to thinking, oh my goodness, I may actually be taken care of. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. I want to give a baseball analogy because it's baseball season and I love baseball. And I want you to stick with me here because, you know, it, it, I've been a baseball family my whole life. My boy Elliot pitched yesterday, four really good innings. Proud of you, man. You did great. It's hard, wasn't it? Your arm's sore. Did good, man. And I got to thinking about Vanderbilt because they're so fun to follow. Uh, Blake, my builder brother, actually played for them years ago. And so and they're really good. Again, this year, the best college baseball program in the country. And something happened this weekend that was extraordinary. There's a young man on their team who's the son of a major league pitcher. And he's their Saturday starter usually. And he didn't pitch this weekend because he's had two rough outings in a row. And I could not have read more articles about this young man this week and his struggles. And I got to thinking, it's a 19-year-old kid. And there are all these articles about him and how poorly he's pitching right now. That's really hard. And I know that the media does what they do. And, and we've got to tell the stories. But this is a 19-year-old kid. 
And by the way, he got roughed up by the fourth ranked team and the ninth ranked team in the country the last two weekends. And he took a break this weekend. And you know what? That's okay. Because his confidence was probably shaken. And the stories written about him didn't help. Baseball, fill in the blank with so many other examples there. Life is so fragile. Confidence for any of us is hanging by a thread at any moment. Now just imagine how much believing that you're believed in can make a difference in your life. Believing that you have something to look forward to. Stop for a minute and just think about how much your life is governed by that next thing you're looking forward to, if you have it, and how much joy that can bring you. That's a huge part of our life if we stop and think about it. And when we're believed in, when we have somebody advocating for us, fighting for us, believing in us, it can make all of the difference. And we see that transition taking place in Ruth's life right here. This is what's going on in the story. She is going from wondering if there's anybody out there for her, how are we going to even have supper tonight, my mother-in-law and I, to this intercession, to this advocacy that is providing for her incredibly. The word Boaz uses in verse 8 is is to to cling to the other women is the same word used in chapter 1 to describe what Ruth intended to do with Naomi when she was going to cling to Naomi, Naomi's people, cling to Naomi's God. It's a poignant question for us to consider this morning. Who do we cling to? Those people who are fighting for us in our lives, who help us know that we have support, are they people that are pointing us ultimately to Jesus? That's why being a part of this membership is so important. Not just this church, any church. Are we pointing one another to Jesus? Do you have that in your life? And then flip it. For those of us who do, because I've been here long enough to know that you do, many of us, are you doing it for others? Is this on your mind when you get up in the morning? Are you wondering how you can advocate for someone today? We have been blessed, so many of us, and we have to have this on our mind when we get up. And it's people like Boaz in this story that helps us understand just how we can do that. Don't you see how we have a part to play and how God's will is unfolding and how God's work is going before us, how the mission of God is seeking to make all things new even today. This is how we have a part to play in this story Heaven coming, God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Boaz becomes part of the bigger story here, y'all. God's bigger story. God's reward for, God rewarding Ruth in this story for her faithfulness, for her clinging to Naomi and Naomi's God. Boaz becomes part of this story and advocating for her, God's bigger story. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. She picked up the grain. She went into the town where the, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she brought out what she had left over uh, from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Verse 20, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he's not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers, Goel. Ruth the Moabitess said, he told, he also told me, stay with the young men until they finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived 
with her mother-in-law. So Ruth arrived in Boaz's field empty, literally, literally out looking for her supper, and she returned home with abundance. And this abundance is foreshadowing what we will see in chapter 3 and 4 when, when Boaz provides for Ruth in an even more substantive way in marrying her. But here is where it began in chapter 2. Ruth is blessed with provision far beyond what she could have expected. I recall a story told by Eugene Peterson about a family from Arizona who went to adopt a young girl from Haiti to be their daughter. And they, they went uh, to Haiti to pick her up, and they tell the story of leaving and walking on the tarmac to get on the plane to come home and slipping their hand into Addie. Her name was Addie. Addie's hand and, and that, that slipping their hands into one another, mirroring the, um, their two sons, teenage sons now, slipping through the birth canal earlier. That evening back at home in Arizona, they sat down for supper, all five of them, uh, Thatcher and Graham, the, the teenage sons, and Addie, and, and the two parents, uh, Cheryl and Fred were their names. Mashed potatoes and pork chops were for supper, and there was a heaping amount of both of them. And the boys, teenage boys, and I'm starting to, to see this unfold in my own home, began to eat, and Addie sat there and watched the pork chops and the mashed potatoes disappear very quickly. And Cheryl and Fred could see that Addie's face was uh, concerned, to say the least. And they wondered what was wrong. And then it dawned on them what was going on. Addie had never seen food disappear so quickly. And in her experience, when food went away, it may not come back anytime soon. So Cheryl jumped up and slipped her hand in Addie's again and began to walk her around the kitchen. First, she stopped at the bread drawer and showed her that it was full with three loaves. Then she stopped at the refrigerator and she had showed her the milk, the OJ, the vegetables, the jars of jelly, the eggs, the bacon. And then she went by the pantry and she told her the, showed her the potatoes and the onions and the squash and the canned goods and the tomatoes and the oranges and the pickles. And then she went to the freezer and she opened it up and she showed her the chicken and the fish and the mounds of ice cream. And Cheryl looked at Addie and she said, no matter how much, Addie, those boys eat, you will never go hungry again. Now, I'm going to spoil the end of our story a bit, because I'm assuming many of you have already read Ruth, but Boaz providing so abundantly for Ruth is foreshadowing Jesus. That's why it is so cool that Ruth's story ends up with the genealogy that becomes, in its fulfillment, the rest of Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll get there. But the point is, all of this is pointing to how much God loves you and cares for you regardless of who you are. You are a child of God. Ruth endured the death of her husband. She endured becoming a widow. She endured the painful decision to leave her own family and her own gods to cling to what seemed like to her in the moment to be a better way. And here comes Boaz to advocate for her in a way that helps Ruth see that she was right to do what she did. And I try to be so creative each and every week to point us to Jesus. And I really do work hard at it. But sometimes the story just speaks for itself. So don't miss it this morning. The harvest season is only three months long, we think. So don't miss that this provision that we see in our story today, it's going to run out. The harvest only lasts 
so long. It's just a temporary solution for Ruth and Naomi. Jesus is not temporary. Jesus is our permanent advocate. Jesus is the true Goel, the true redeemer. And I pray that you see in this story that that Ruth's faith, Boaz's faithfulness ultimately point each of us to Jesus and to the abundance that comes following and being formed by him. Let's pray.